there's a sense of unusualness with almost every birth. It's not something that you get to see very often, unless, of course, you're a midwife. And, of course, some births are more unusual than others. Uh, Some births are mildly unusual. Uh, A woman might have a particularly long labor or a particularly short one or give birth to twins. Those things are mildly unusual. And then at the other end of the scale, you've got the highly unusual. Uh, In 2009, Nadia Suleiman from California gave birth to octuplets. That's eight babies, six boys and two girls. They all survived. Today, they're 10 years old. Uh, That has only ever happened once in the whole of human history. The chances of that happening are around one in 20 trillion. So that is highly unusual. But there's one birth that has occurred that is even more unusual. The birth of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth. Humanly speaking, the chances of that happening are zero. So we're looking at the narrative of Jesus coming into the world. Only two of the gospel writers give give an account of Jesus' birth and the surrounding events. That's Matthew and Luke. Uh, Luke tells a story from Mary's perspective, and Matthew tells a story from Joseph's perspective. Last week we were in Luke, this week we're in Matthew. And both of these accounts are so different that it'd be very difficult to say that one uh, was drawn from the other. They're different, but they're complementary. They don't contradict one another. Uh, But despite the differences, there are some key points that are emphasized by both writers. And one of the most obvious is that Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. Reading from Luke 1, uh, 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And then in verse 34, when the angel told Mary that she was going to have a son, Mary replied, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel replies, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Luke places considerable emphasis on the fact that Mary was a virgin, as does Matthew. In Matthew 18, it says, talking of Mary and Joseph, before they came together, she found she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, this is the, the angel speaking to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then Matthew quotes that uh, verse from Isaiah 7, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And just to make sure that we're left in absolutely no doubt, verse 25 says, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. So what we come to know as a virgin birth was of considerable importance to both Matthew and Luke. You know, it's highly probable that Luke personally interviewed Mary about these things. And if Matthew, the gospel writer, is indeed Matthew, the tax collector, uh, which many believe that he is, that's one of the 12 disciples, then it's highly likely that Matthew also was able to speak to Mary personally about these things. If not, uh, he would have certainly been able to speak to someone in, in whom she had confided. Uh, the early church 
also seems to have believed that it was important that Mary was a virgin when she gave birth. The final version of the Nicene Creed, which we'll be praying uh, a little bit later, uh, was an attempt by the early church to summarize uh, the key aspects of our faith. The Nicene Creed is kind of like the bare minimum of what Christians ought to believe. It keeps us, keeps us on track. Uh, it prevents us from erring from the truth of the gospel. And within that creed, we find these words. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. And that's the Christmas story, isn't it? Right there in the Nicene Creed. So the virgin birth is actually quite an important facet of our faith, but it's under attack. Uh, Rather patronizingly, people say, well, you know, they may have believed in that kind of thing 2,000 years ago, but we're uh, modern, educated, scientifically-minded people. We know that virgins don't give birth. But in the first century, they knew perfectly well where babies come from. That's why Joseph found this situation so problematic. And we see Joseph's initial reaction to Mary's pregnancy in verse 19. It says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Incidentally, Mary and Joseph were at this time only pledged to be married, what we would call engaged. But in their culture, uh, engagement was such a serious thing that you actually needed a divorce to annul it. So Joseph was on the verge of ending this, uh, this pledge of marriage, ending this engagement. He's on the verge of divorce, which is a very serious thing indeed. And, and he's taken this action because he knew of only one way that a woman can get pregnant. Uh, But then the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and set the record straight, explained to Joseph exactly what was happening. But you know, it's not just that people glibly dismiss the idea of the virgin birth. Some liberal theologians go to great lengths to explain it away. And uh, there's uh, three arguments that they often employ. Firstly, they point out that the virgin birth is not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. It doesn't feature in any of Paul's letters uh, or in any of the other books of the New Testament. We only find it in Matthew and Luke. Uh, But that's because it wasn't controversial. Uh, The early church unanimously agreed that this is how it all happened. The early church, of Mary was a part of that church. The early church who had the personal testimony of the people who experienced these things. Uh, was unanimously agreed that this is how it was. And also, the virgin birth, even though it is important, and later on I'll explain why I think it's important, it doesn't have any bearing on the way that we live our lives. It doesn't change the gospel in any substantive way. The second argument has to do with translation. Matthew quotes Isaiah 7.14, which says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And there are some who question whether the word virgin should be translated virgin or simply young woman, because the original Hebrew word can actually mean both. But it says the Lord himself will give you a sign. And I think you'll agree that a virgin given birth is a powerful sign. It's miraculous. God would have to be involved in something like that. 
It doesn't make sense to say the Lord himself will give you a sign. A young woman will conceive and give birth to a son. That happens 360,000 times a day. That's not much of a sign. So I think we can be confident, as Matthew was, that virgin is the right translation to use in the context of this particular prophecy. The third objection is that the virgin birth is unscientific. And uh, the argument is a simple one. We can prove conclusively that virgins don't give birth, and therefore we cannot take this story seriously. But science studies the repeatable, the laws of nature, the things that routinely happen. The God of the universe entering into creation in the person of Jesus Christ is not a routine event. Given those circumstances, should we not expect to encounter something new? But of course, if someone isn't willing to accept the possibility that God made a personal appearance on the stage of history, then they're unlikely to be uh, convinced by Matthew's account. At the end of the day, if you believe that Jesus was and is God, you'll more likely believe the birth accounts. If you don't, you won't. So why is this even important? Uh, after all, I suspect that if Matthew uh, and Luke had, ha- hadn't included this detail, um, it probably wouldn't have a huge impact on our Christian faith. It wouldn't really change anything. Well, I think it's important for three reasons. It says something about the validity of Scripture, the Bible. It says something about the nature of Jesus. And it says something about the way that God interacts with humanity. So firstly, the virgin birth says something about the validity of Scripture. As they say on the the Bible Project, I don't know whether you come across the Bible Project. It's an online resource. There's a couple of guys from the States, and they've made uh, animated videos of all the books in the Bible, like summaries of those books, and a lot of the themes as well. It's a brilliant resource, the Bible Project. Uh, Google that today and have a look at it. Uh, But on there, they have a bit of a strap line. They say, we believe that the Bible is one continuous story that leads to Jesus. And we believe that too, that the Bible is one continuous story that leads to Jesus. And so we would expect some of the prophecies of the Old Testament to be fulfilled by Jesus' birth. It matters that Jesus was born to a virgin. It matters that Jesus was born in Bethlehem because the Bible points us in that direction. Secondly, the virgin birth says something about the nature of God the nature of Christ. Jesus is, uh, as a Danish uh, theologian said, uh, Soren Kierkegaard said, the, the God-man. Jesus is the God-man. He's fully human and fully God. And from the angel's words to Joseph, it's very clear why he came. The angel said, you are to name him Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. And whenever we celebrate Christmas, we always do so with Easter on the horizon. Jesus came to take the sin of the world upon himself. When Jesus was on the cross, you can imagine it, can't you? Reaching out to humanity and reaching out to God, bringing the two together, bringing reconciliation. Only someone who is fully human and fully God could do that. Perhaps it ought not to surprise us that this God-man was conceived in the womb of a woman by the power of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright wrote this. He said, there's a sense of appropriateness, hard to define, easy to recognize about the story 
Luke and Matthew tell. It isn't what we would have expected, but it somehow rings true. It somehow rings true. Thirdly, the virgin birth says something about the way God interacts with humanity. God graciously works through human beings by the power of his Holy Spirit, uh, and, and the results are often quite amazing. Mary is the supreme example of this, the supreme example of God working through a human being by the power of the Holy Spirit. There will never be another virgin birth, but God continues to work through the church. God continues to work through you and through me and through his church, often in very surprising ways. God's solution to the problem of sin involves partnering with humanity. God's solution to the problem of sin involves partnering with humanity. And nothing shows us that more clearly than this narrative that we're reading about today. So as we study the nativity, this Advent and Christmas, let's remember that we really can take these events at face value, as strange and wonderful as they might be. Uh, The gospel writers included these events, included these details, because they believe them to be true. And they had a much better vantage point than we do from which to assess uh, these events. This is a story about the God of the universe becoming human. We really ought to expect the unexpected. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that um, often when people in our culture think about Christmas, they make no distinction between reindeers and wrapping paper and uh, Jesus and the virgin birth and wise men and tinsel and Christmas trees and food, and it just all gets wrapped up together in one confusing medley. But Father, we pray that this morning we can uh, distinguish uh, what is true and good and right about Christmas. That we can distinguish the truth from the hype. That we can recognize that uh, this is the most phenomenal event in the history of the universe. That God should become man. And Father, we pray that we will open our hearts and our minds to this truth. And just how wonderful it is. How incredible it is that you humbled yourself in such a way for us in order that we might know you and have a loving relationship with you that lasts forever. It's almost too wonderful for us to comprehend. So we pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll you'll help us to absorb uh, this uh, during Advent and over Christmas and that you'll fill our hearts with joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.